We are live. Living the Guide Life, episode 11 with Alex Ermatinger, owner and operator of Tinger Guide Service out in Michigan, northern Michigan. They're chasing king salmon and steelhead all on the fly rod, man. If you're looking to get into a fight, let me tell you, that that's the one you want to chase. Also, he's a guide out at Gunnison River Expeditions. So if you're looking to chase some browns or some rainbows out in Colorado, get the family together, go join them out there. He said it's an awesome time. I know chasing those fish is so much fun on a fly rod. And if you haven't done it, and if you haven't rode in a drift boat, that's the place to be. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. We dig into some fun stories and we talk about bottom bouncing for King, King Salmon which I've never um, heard about, but it's quite, it's quite the story. So hope you guys enjoy. This is Chance here with Living the Guide Life on episode 11, and we have Alex Ermatinger here with Tinger Guide Service, which he owns and runs salmon over in Michigan over in September, and they slay a lot of salmon, and then he also runs through Gunnison River Expeditions and is a guide out there. What's up, Alex? How's it going, man? Just living the dream every day over here in Minnesota. Love it. Yeah. I actually... um, Heading trout fishing this weekend down in southern Minnesota. Go see how the dry dry fly hatches this weekend. Absolutely. What do you have hatching now? Uh, I want to say, honestly, I haven't really looked yet. I haven't had time to look. I've been working too much. But usually right. it's like, um, what fly do I about this time always use? Um, some sort of caddis. Uh, absolutely but yeah i i gotta look into it before i head down there but should be a good weekend should be a lot of fun and i know you're talking this is your first day off in quite a while yeah man this time of year is uh crazy busy for us out here in colorado um uh from just about june 1st uh through the end of august you know beginning of june everyone's coming out wanting to hit that salmon fly hatch so we uh we target big old trout with those size two foam salmon flies awesome stuff seeing those fish explode on those big bugs on top yeah and then uh salmon flies kind of die off and right now we're really getting into the start of the hopper season so again big old foam dries on top can't beat that yeah yeah i love doing um have like the big foam as like your first fly and then have like a little nymph at the end of it. Absolutely. Hopper dropper, dry dropper, whatever you want to call it. That that's definitely uh, a killer technique. Yeah. I learned that out of Montana a couple years ago and then, I mean, just love it to death because it's like a, you got like yourself an indicator on the front and then they also just smash that one and then just all around works great oh it's so great because you just use it as an indicator and you kind of lose focus that it's a dry fly (laughs) and then all of a sudden your indicator just gets exploded on and disappears yeah it's the best thing oh that's awesome 
So, so I'll use I'll use those big old orange. So before the salmon flies really start, or as they start, you know, we'll still be doing some ninthing techniques, and I'll use a big orange indicator, and I'll know it's time to switch to the dry fly when those orange indicators start getting eaten. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. That's so great. Um, but yeah, let's hear about your story on what kind of made you be a guide and what what like what made you join that uh, passion. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I grew up uh, fishing with my dad. He really got me into the sport, um, you know, made me really fall in love with it. Um, had a, uh, a guiding friend. He was he would take my my dad out. Uh, it turned into be a really good family friend of ours. And he kind of took me under his wing, uh, mentored me, um, got me into the guiding side of things. Um, after college, I I pursued a couple more professional careers. Um, I guided on the weekends in my spare time when I could. And I just decided that if I was really going to be happy and if I was going to love what I did for the rest of my life, um, I was going to have to pursue guiding. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's awesome. How long have you been guiding out in Colorado for? So this is my third year out in Colorado. Um, I started at a, a, a dude ranch kind of up in the West Elks wilderness area in the Rocky mountains here. Um, did some, I was ahead of outdoor rec- recreation. So I had a couple guys that worked under me. We did a lot of walkway guiding, yeah. um, as well as, you know, some other activities, uh, on the ranch there. Uh, we would take guests from the Smith Fork ranch that wanted to uh, do some more serious fishing. We'd take them over to the Gunnison river, uh, with Gunnison river expeditions and got to know those guys and the rest is history. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Now, are you guys doing all drift boats on the Gunnison? Yeah, we do some walkway fishing, but uh, it's primarily drift boat stuff. So yeah. uh, June and July are a lot of uh, Gunnison Gorge trips. So those are pretty uh, extensive uh, one, two, or three-day trips through the Gunnison Gorge. Okay. Uh, and, and then as the season progresses, it's uh, you know lots of downstream floats and stuff like that on the lower Gunnison, where the yeah. Pleasure Park, where the Gunnison River Expeditions is located. Yeah. How long are the trips usually like during the day? Um, you know, again, it depends. We have half day trips that are four hours. We have full day trips that are eight hours or we have the gorge trips, uh, which will be again, it's one, two or three day trip and it's all the same amount of river. So it's 14 miles from start to finish. Those one day trips are long days. And then the two and three day trips, we really break up the trip. We do a couple nights camping, uh, some, some of the most beautiful areas you'll, you'll ever see. Yeah, that's awesome. That'd be quite the experience to go down in the Gunnison Gorge for a couple oh, days. Absolutely, the yeah. logistics is really what makes the trip uh, what it is. I mean, it's it's about a, an hour and a half two track drive in a four by four vehicle into the trailhead. Yeah, uh, it's a mile, mile, mile and a half down to the river there. Um, all the gear, all the, the rafts, the frames, the coolers, all the gear gets horse packed in. Um, oh wow. Come down to the river there, where where we meet our gear, and then we inflate the boats, put them all together, assemble everything, and and we hit the river. You guys got quite the process out there, then. Yeah, logistically, it's uh, pretty intense. Yeah, that's sweet. Have you guys been uh, getting on some big trout lately? Absolutely, absolutely. So especially, you know, June, early June, early middle of June is when the salmon fly hatch was this year. Yeah, uh, it was just epic. Um, especially on even some of the lower floats. I mean, we were averaging, averaging, you know, 17, 18 inch fish. Oh, wow. Um, 
So it was it was pretty epic. After the salmon fly hatch, uh, you know those fish that are sitting in those those primary big runs, you know they get filled filled yeah. up. Um, they'll kind of move off. So you know for a week after the hatch, you'll see you know the average fish kind of get smaller. Um, but once we've hit kind of where we are right now, we're starting the hopper season, those big fish are back in those main feeding lanes and really lighten up those hoppers. Yeah. Now, what do you look for when you're kind of fishing down the river in a drift boat for like some bigger trout? Like, Right. So again, it's uh, when you're guiding it, you kind of find those banks that, that consistently hold fish you know there's banks that that visually will look good um but they they hold smaller fish or they don't consistently hold fish there's there's two or three banks uh just on the lower section uh on the gunnison river that i know consistently hold big fish um so just just getting out there and fishing that water and then just just like any other sort of trout fishing it's it's seams and it's runs and it's riffles and especially for hoppers it's those grassy banks that have really good current on it that's where those fish are feeding primarily on hoppers they're more keyed into them yeah absolutely now when does the hopper start for you guys so it's just picking up right now so the last couple weeks uh probably started about a week or two ago um you know we've been seeing we've been seeing hoppers all spring yeah uh, but they've really started to key in and and they're on those they're on that stone fly bite for for most of june so it's the the big salmon flies then it turns into the goldens we're still seeing a lot of the smaller stones the yellow sallies um hatching so we're still targeting fish on top of those but once the bigger stoneflies kind of dwindle down then the fish will start eating those hoppers better yeah that's what that's what i was thinking of when we go down south i think the black stonefly hatch is kind of right now in minnesota absolutely so like a pat's rubber leg underneath something like that yeah yeah because i remember it's just like a big we just use the big black stoneflies and then throw that as our indicator and call it good from there there you go yeah but um are you guys fishing any smaller creeks out there too like do you like on your spare time do you walk around on some smaller creeks and kind of mess around or absolutely yeah and like i said when i first moved out here um for the position that i took it was all walk waiting small stuff so up in the rockies and there is just i mean millions of acres that you can just go get lost in and there's tons of streams up there uh another uh, resource that we have, I have pretty close to me here is the Grand Mesa in Colorado, and that is just filled with little cricks yeah. um, that they stock the hell out of. So it, it can be a good time. Oh, that's awesome. Is Absolutely. There, um, with the stocking of fish out there, was that affected at all by COVID this year? You know, not that I've heard. Um, not that I've heard. I have not seen the stocking boat down. Uh, at least the gunnison where i am yet but that doesn't mean that they haven't been yeah because i know over in minnesota they like aren't even stocking walleyes this year um just because of like covid and all that kind of stuff wow that seems silly yeah i was like i hope that doesn't affect the fishery too much yeah i was like well i mean if (laughs) whatever floats your boat but i think that's kind of ridiculous yeah um it's not like you need more than two guys to go stock in a big stock tank. Absolutely. Like, but that's how it goes, I guess. Um, that's out of our hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has COVID affected you guys, like, guiding trips at all? Like, has anyone 
like yeah so these especially june yeah especially for june for the salmon fly hatch um we had a handful um of people call and cancel their trips uh fortunately these dates are sought after enough to where we could refill those dates um so we refilled a lot of those canceled dates and then the protocol changed a little bit um especially because those overnight trips were serving food oh yeah we're just you know washing and sanitizing having to wear plastic gloves um masks uh, the whole 10 yards so um you know it's it's affected us a little bit um we're having to wear masks on the river but it is what it is you know wear your buff and stay out of the sun yeah yeah exactly we're fortunate to that you know we're still running some trips so yeah that's that's all that matters got to keep the keep the trips rolling and catch a lot of fish absolutely yeah um so for the salmon fly hatch tell me a little bit about that because i'm not I don't know a bunch about it. Is it like just a regular salmon fly that you can use for salmon like when you're out in Michigan or is it like? No, so it's, it's like a particular type of uh, terrestrial bug. So it's about an inch and a half, two inches long. Okay. Um, so it's a, and it's a true stone fly. It's got double wings on both sides. Um, and they like to fly around. They like to crawl up everything, including you and your face and your neck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's a, but those fish, I, I heard a statistic that 75% of some of those trout's yearly protein is consumed during that salmon fly hatch. So if you can imagine three oh, quarters wow. of the trout's yearly protein in one week, how fat and gorged those fish are on those bugs. Um, yeah. it, it's just pretty epic. I mean, you catch fish on the salmon fly dry and it's coming in and just having these bugs just fall out of its mouth. <laughs> Jeez. So it's pretty epic. That's pretty rowdy. That sounds like it would be a good time. Um, so what is your what does your season look like once it starts to get into August? And do you head back to Michigan or? Yeah, so I'll be heading back um, that last week of August um, from Colorado going back to Michigan. And then I'll be in Michigan uh, guiding from August 31st until August 24th, I believe. I'm sorry, September 24th. And then I'll uh, I'll be heading back to back to Colorado. Yeah. Do you do any fly fish or do you do any fly fishing like once you get back from Michigan? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, especially in the fall here on the Gunnison River, I do a lot of blasting casts. So I've got a, a pup, a year and a half old German short hair pointer, yeah. and she's just a duck hunting machine. So I'll throw her in the drift boat and we'll go float down and go throw big streamers for brown trout and then uh, have the shotgun available when the ducks fly over. That's awesome. What kind of ducks are you guys shooting out there on the river? Yeah, early season, it's a lot of uh, mallards, just lots of mallards. Um, As the season progresses, December, January, we start to see more flight ducks, golden eyes, um, buffle heads, stuff like that. Last January, I think we had a day where we shot almost a limit of wood ducks and then the day that we shot a limit of teal so we get these weird weird little pockets of ducks that will come in different areas um that kind of keeps us on our toes really yeah that's pretty neat absolutely now how old's your pup She's about a year and a half old. She's a German short hair pointer mixed with a wire hair pointer. So she's a short hair pointer with a beard, basically. She's, uh, she's yeah. a cutie. Yeah, I was looking at your Instagram and I saw that you got quite the pup in the boat. You take her in the boat yeah. quite a bit? Absolutely, absolutely. I did a lot last year. And then unfortunately, uh, this past winter, I did a lot of duck hunting, like I said, with her. So now every time she gets in the boat, she thinks we're going duck hunting. <laughs> so she's a little bit more of a handful in the boat when we're fishing this year. But yeah. Uh, it'll pay off during duck season oh absolutely um now when you go back to michigan how long does that season run 
Uh, you know, the, the King salmon are going to start running in the end of August. Uh, it varies again year to year. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of years, it's been the end of August, um, early September. So I'm starting those trips beginning of September. And then, um, you know, those salmon are running up the rivers, they're spawning and then they're, uh, they're going to die. So we'd like to target on those first two, three weeks of September. Okay. And after that, uh, you know, they start getting a little darker color. Um, and then we'll move to maybe the coho or, or something like that. Steelhead the last week of September. Okay. Are you guys throwing like dry flies or streamers or what do you, what do you do? Oh, for, for the king salmon, we're bottom bouncing, um, egg flies, um, okay. you know, they're, they're just smacking those egg flies. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we have to work at it a little more. We'll, we'll throw on some different variations, egg sucking leeches, woolly bugger, stuff like that. Okay. But, uh, usually, you know, especially early in the season, we, we've got a lot of water that we cover, so we'll, will likely come upon uh, holes that are holding, you know, a hundred fish. Oh, so wow. you got a hundred fish in a hole you throw, you throw a couple bright egg flies down there and, and you're going to entice one or two of those fish. So, yeah. And those fish are big. Like I'm Yeah. Looking... We had a, uh, well, best fish last year was 31 pounds. Good year. And I know we hooked bigger fish than that, but you don't land them very often. Yeah. I can only imagine the fight that it like throws down. Oh, absolutely. And those rivers are so tight and yeah. just full of logs and log jams. So, you know, you'll be facing upstream fighting that fish and the fish went upstream, wrapped around a log and now is downstream. So you're facing upstream fighting that fish and he's jumping 200 yards behind you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty great. Chaos at its finest. Yeah. And is that all in a drift boat then too? That is, yeah. If I've got a high drift boat back in Michigan and like I said, we'll do eight to 10 mile stretches of river and some of those accesses are private. So in the middle of September when those rivers are getting hammered by fishermen, we'll see one or two people in a day. That's awesome. Private, absolutely. Private access is a key. It like, is absolutely. It's all about who you know, right? Exactly. Like it's it's a game changer when we fish down in uh, uh, Lanesboro and like stuff like that, or even waterfowl hunting um, around here. If you don't have like any private access, you're screwed. Like you, I mean, you're gonna like catch fish or shoot some ducks, but it's not like you're going to go out and smash the limit every day. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I always try to go for private access. That's the best way. And it's not like hard to get it either. It's all just like kind of talking to the farmer or whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's those, those communication skills that you need to be a guide anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can have a conversation, like it's pretty easy to get permission unless somebody else hunts it or whatever it is i just feel like people are too scared to ask absolutely but yeah so with the steelhead are you doing the same kind of techniques that you do with the um king salmon yeah yeah so they're they're again they're in that river system they're going to be eating the salmon eggs so we're going to be throwing those egg flies on depending on the day the weather conditions you know if we've got some overcast spitting a little rain um, and we've got a, a fly fisherman that knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. We'll throw streamers for those fish okay. and sometimes get some great eats. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you do some fishing by yourself when you're uh, out there too as well, or is it just mainly clients and then you're back to 
back home? Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh, you know, arrive a few days early and I'll usually fish those stretches of river with, uh, you know, buddies. I've yeah. got a guide that works for me, uh, one of my best friends. Um, so we, we always fun float the river a couple of days. We bring a chainsaw, you know, we clear any stretches, anything that's down in the river. Um, oh, wow. With that being said, it's we keep it very, very rugged because, yeah. you know, nobody else floats those stretches and we want to keep it that way. Yeah. So for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, getting down those stretches would be pretty treacherous. But we like, <laughs> you know, also the laws in Michigan, you can only, uh, you know, chainsaw out a log jam so that a boat is navigable down that waterway. So it can only oh. be wide enough for your boat to get through. So we take that pretty seriously. We keep yeah. it real tight. So if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tough for you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You got to protect where you're uh, fishing. Absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I wonder what the laws are for um, chainsawing. Because I know that's kind of the same deal in Minnesota. You have to be able to, like, let a whatever it is access, like walking or floating or whatever it is. Because not many, I mean, you don't have any drift boats down here. But, like, for those smaller creeks and stuff, because we access through some to hunt and... I know people try to like cut down trees to block it off. And right. I you just got to go back there and just kind of cut your way through it. Right, and also like you know, the, as far as trout habitat goes, um, so much of those, those that trout habitat depends on those branches, those trees, those logs in the water that they're using for shade. That's keeping that water temperature down. So you know, we want to be able to float it, but we want to keep most of that brush in there uh, for fish habitat and just for river the river habitat oh absolutely absolutely now do you do any hunting back in michigan yeah that's where i grew up hunting so you know grew up doing the white-tailed deer thing yeah uh, we've got a couple of hundred acre farm in the middle of the lower peninsula oh, um, nice. it's just all, all agriculture so corn and corn and soybeans so love to get back there and uh shoot a couple deer every year if i can yeah. um and you know turkeys and then i went to went to school in the upper peninsula where we did a lot of waterfowl and uh you know grouse hunting stuff like that where did you go to school at uh northern michigan university in marquette oh yeah absolutely um i got buddy's grandparents that live up there I've oh that's up, a beautiful part been up part there the climbed up on sugarloaf and stuff like that oh yeah yeah that's a great place to go yeah i mean so beautiful out there absolutely yeah it's just unbelievable and the what like the great lakes are so cold i didn't realize that oh. until we walked over there and i was like geez <laughs> your lake's superior never it never gets warm yeah <laughs> people think in august it'll be warm it never gets warm yeah you can't even like i remember we were walking along and you couldn't even go and like where where you want to swim because it's if you try to swim you like drown like, yeah, so there's like a little island right off the beach there. Yeah. Every single year I was in college. It's maybe 20, 30 yards from yeah. the beach is this island. Every year I was in school there. Somebody drowned trying to swim out to that island. Oh, yeah. Like, crazy. That that lake is unforgiving. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, you do not want to mess around with that water. No. But, um, so yeah, let's... Uh, Back in Colorado, what are some like the key things that you like to have on your boat while you're guiding? Yeah, so off the top of my head, uh, you know, sunglasses are kind of 
and essential yeah. um, for not only you as the guide, but but everybody in the boat. Um, you know, as the guide, you're just going to be able to see so much better. You're going to spot those fish. You're going to be able to see what you're doing. Um, and then as far as the gear on top of that, uh, nippers, honestly, nippers, man, I've got, I've had some horrible nippers and it makes your job as a guide nipping, you know, line, tip it, uh, yeah. you know, the end off where your tie flies onto that tag end. Um, just always having, having accessible, sharp nippers. Uh, I've kind of switched over. I've got a pair of hemostats that kind of double as nippers. If, if you open them up wide enough, it, it exposes a little blade there so you can you can kind of have a two-in-one which i've become a fan of this year that's awesome yeah um and then for those uh like those trout that you guys catch out there what fly weight would you recommend when you're fishing out there you said line weight yeah um you know it's it's really up to you a five weight nine foot five weight rod is just about the most universal rod you can have so you can throw streamers you can throw dries and you can throw an interrig on there if you want to get specific um for the big dries i'd still throw a five weight maybe a four weight um if you want to if you're throwing more streamers i'd go up to a six and obviously have some uh some sinking line on there some streamer line um even a versa tip um something like that if you're if you're throwing you know caddis this time of year we're getting like i said some yellow sallies some some caddis in the afternoon um some smaller stuff even um you know a four weight is going to be great for those light presentations yeah absolutely now do you guys have rods for them to use or is it kind of like bring your own rod or what's you know a lot most people um bring their own stuff we have all the rental gear you need yeah so if you show up and need rods and reels and everything we can get you we can get you set up to fish yeah and then i noticed in your uh bio on instagram the douglas fly fishing what's that all absolutely about? yeah so uh actually i was fortunate enough this year um earlier a month or so ago i, I went through a three-day gorge trip uh, i took ed from ed's fly shop over in montrose there ed is a great guy um ed brought a couple of those douglas fly rods with him and i was just a huge fan um he let me you know uh, as a guide i do not get to fish very much but he let me uh, uh take some casts with it i think i even caught a couple of fish with those rods yeah um, which just really impressed he had nothing but great things to say about the company and the rep that he works with quite a bit um ed introduced uh me to the rep and uh the rest is history i've just kind of been uh, an ambassador for the brand here for the last little bit and and loving every minute of it that's awesome that's that's great to hear man absolutely so they're they've got some very impressive fly rods um got a couple of awards under their belt uh for casting competitions and stuff so i'd recommend uh recommend you definitely check them out yeah most definitely um casting competitions what's that all about i've never not really familiar with it yeah and you know i'm not i don't have a whole lot of details on it i just know there's it's a a shootout it's called a shootout so they're just they're looking for distance with these fly rods so all the Hmm. all the major fly manufacturers fly rod manufacturers kind of enter these different competitions and i don't know if they have a representative who's casting or maybe it's the same person that's casting but they're just testing all these rods and they're coming up with a winner um probably taking a lot of controls into consideration and uh checking out the fly rod seeing which they can get the most distance out of That's pretty neat. Be something absolutely. Be cool to go try out. Absolutely. Um, and then for guiding out in Colorado, do you have to like go to a guide school or anything like that to be a guide? 
So you do not, not legally. Um, you have to guide through an outfitter. Um, okay. If you're guiding on water, that water, you have to have a permit, right, to guide on that, yeah. that water. Um, usually those permits are held by the outfitters. So uh, primarily in Colorado, the guides work through outfitters. Um, and that's how it works. You don't legally need to go to a guide school. Um, okay. I did, actually. Um, I went to the Sweetwater Guide School in Livingston, Montana. Um, oh, wow. Had a great experience. Absolutely loved it. Um, I had had a couple years of guiding uh, part-time under my belt back in Michigan yeah. um, before I, I made the big move out to Colorado to guide year-round. Uh, I attended that guide school. I uh, learned a whole lot. Absolutely loved it. That's sweet. Now, what do you guys do at the guide school? Is it just like riding drift boats and kind of... Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So you're in in the boat with an instructor and another student and you're rowing half the day and you're fishing half the day. You spend half the day as the client and half the day as the guide. Um, And just just rowing techniques, being able to put those customers on fish, reading water. Um, You know, a lot of people come into the class as avid fly fishermen trying to make that transition over to be a guide. And a lot of those uh, qualities, you know, stay the same. You have to read water to catch fish. You have to read the water to to put clients on fish. So um, some of it, you know, I was more more uh, familiar with and other aspects of the, the guiding program, but it was all helpful. Yeah. And when you say reading water, are you talking about finding like breaks and holes and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at a section of water, um, you know, let's say on a map, you should be able to put where you draw on that map where you think there's going to be holding fish. Yeah. And then translating that to putting the boat in a good position so that your customer can catch those fish. You know, having an idea of where those fish are going to be holding and then reading your customer's ability levels, you know, you want to stay as far away from those fish as you can yeah. while still allowing your customer to make uh, an accurate cast to those fish, which, you know, in different water levels means different things right now in the Gunnison, we're running a little low. It's real clear. Okay. So I'm trying to keep that boat as far away from those where <laughs> I think those fish are going to be as possible yeah. while still allowing those clients to get accurate and good drifts through those areas. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, um, I went on a guided trip, with my grandpa out in Ennis, Montana, two years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. And beautiful uh, area. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Like, had Moose walk next to us, like, while we're on the boat. And, like, whoa. Just, yeah, it was super <laughs> neat. And, um, cause it was his first time fly fishing. So we got a guided trip for him. And then, um, but we were like, we would just cast and then let it just drift down the river, like the flies. Right. And is that kind of like the same, like we'd stop and like cast certain spots, but it was a lot of like casting and then you just kind of let it flow and then all of a sudden they just come up on it. Absolutely. I mean, when you're fishing from the boat, you have the the ability to get super long drifts. You know, if you make that accurate cast and you're able to mend and control that line, um, you know, you're able to get these super long drifts. Um, I mean, every cast you're making, that's time that your fly is out of the water and your that fish is not going to eat that fly. Yeah. So keeping that presentation in that water where those fish are for as long as possible um, is, is a little more um, realistic from a drift boat. You know, when you're fishing from the bank, you're casting upstream as far as you can controlling that line to you know the point where it's downstream and it's dragging so you in a drift boat you can get those really long drifts yeah he would always say let her hunt let her hunt and i was like that's a good one (laughs) i love it yeah it was it was a good time that was 
quite the experience in a drift boat because I've never been able, I've never been in one before, so it was pretty really? neat. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of ruins you once you've been in a drift boat again. <laughs> ruins your bank fishing. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I would, I'd go like fly fish after because we were out there for I don't know five six days, and then we did nice. like two days of drift boat. And then the other days I was just fly fishing by myself, like walking the river and stuff like that. But yeah, the drift boat, drift boat is a lot of fun. Like for people that haven't done it, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, is it hard to control those drift boats? And like once you're kind of learning it and then once you just get it, just like riding a bike, I can imagine. Yeah. To a point, you know, there's people that they think, oh, I've rowed like an aluminum boat across a lake. Like I can do this. And it's just not the same. It's just there is a large, large learning gap there um, that you have to overcome. But yeah, kind of like you said, once you get it and once you get the general ideas and the concepts, um, you know, the more time you spend behind the oars, the better you're going to be. You know, you're going to you're going to understand what needs to be done and then have the abilities to get the boat there because those are two different things you'll you'll understand what needs to be done before you have the ability to move the boat there yeah and so you know, especially for those gorge trips that we do that's class three and four whitewater okay. so um and, you know that, that was a large learning curve for at least me you know navigating that larger stuff yeah and I'm not familiar with the whitewater, so what's kind of the scale of that? You know, it's a scale of, I believe, a normal scale is like a one to five. A one is calm, calm water, and a five is, is pretty gnarly. So, okay. um, you know, three and four is, uh, you know, it doesn't yeah. look huge to the eye, but there's, especially these low water levels that we're seeing, there's just a lot of exposed rocks. So okay. if that boat gets sideways at any point in and into any of those rocks, you're liable to either wrap that boat or flip that boat. So oh, okay. if the guide does everything right, the rapid doesn't feel like much at all. Yeah. But it's when stuff goes wrong that you realize the intensity and the, the repercussions of some of those. Oh, I can imagine. And I can imagine the low water is quite a quite a game changer. It is. I mean, you know, it's scary again when it gets huge, but at this level, it's it's so bony. You're hitting so many rocks. Yeah. You're bumping stuff. You're, you know, you're getting beached <laughs> over gravel bars, having to get out and push the boat. So, yeah. you know, it's it's part of the game. But, uh, you know, they even just last week, just two weeks, one or two weeks ago, they, they bumped it up about 100 CFS for us through the Gunnison Gorge. So we were happy about that. Made our jobs a little easier. Oh, absolutely. Do they have like a dam out there then? Yeah, so the the Blue Mesa Reservoir is the biggest or one of the biggest reservoirs in Colorado. Um, The Upper Gunnison River flows into the Blue Mesa, and then the Lower Gunnison River flows out of the Blue Mesa. So we're fishing down here in the Lower Gunnison, um, and our water and our flows are regulated by that Blue Mesa Dam. So they they turn the knob up or down on us and give us what they want to give us, kind of. Kind of all depends on irrigation way down below, how much they need down below. Um, but fortunately enough for us, you know, last summer is a really hot, dry summer. So uh, a lot of the waters around us were unfishable. That water level came to a, a point where it was just not safe to catch those fish. You yeah. know, those fish, they were dying before you could release them. So a lot of rivers around us had a, a little fishing ban going on. And because our water is coming from the bottom of that Blue Mesa Reservoir, we're getting like constant cold water. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have time to raise, you know, where we are. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, because how cold is the water out there right now? Because I know you're not supposed to catch trout in like 
if it's past 70 degree water is what I kind of heard. Yeah, you know, we're looking at like uh, upper 50s, low 60s. There's some areas I think that are in the mid 60s, some of the slow stuff down below. Um, but this is about as warm as it's going to get ever. Yeah. How warm was it last year when you guys uh, like again, fish? It stayed there. It stayed in the low 60s. Yeah. High, high 50s, low 60s. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I can imagine if it gets really warm and hot like absolutely it's just dangerous to catch those fish because they're dying there is no catch and release at that point yeah they don't have like just too much pressure on them right too much like yeah can't sit still and just eat their flies and whatever but absolutely yeah fair enough now um for that dam when you guys do you guys like if it's too low or like too high do you ever like mention something to like the people that run that or do you guys like have any say in that or like no? No. Unfortunately we'd like to think that they take us into consideration. But yeah. they really their their main priority is getting irrigation to farmland. So, you know, or I, I and I don't know, maybe there's a water aspect, maybe, you know, I there are other uses for water, but I know the large one is just irrigation. So, you know, those farmers fields and crops are, are pretty high priority. The cows, you know, high priority in this area, large farming area. So, um, you know, they raise it in the springtime, usually mid end of May, they'll do a spring flush. So, uh, two years ago it was up to, I think the guides ran it. I ran it with the guides at like 800, 8,200. Um, it's pretty epic. Uh, and then this year, they the highest they raised it to was about 3,000, 2,500. So uh, oh. nothing compared to the couple of years ago, but yeah. they'll still give us a, a spring flush, which the river ecosystem really needs that every spring. It's a natural occurrence. So Yeah, is that to push like logs and stuff down or whatever is kind of stuck there? Yeah, it's just sediment, debris, yeah. cleans out the river, you know, just flushes it out, gives it new life. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that coincides with the salmon fly hatch, so... Uh, you know, if the salmon flies are just starting to hatch, you know, crawl up on the banks and then they raise the water level 2000 CFS, uh, it basically kills all the salmon flies. It, oh, you wow. know, it pushes them in the river and flushes them downstream and, and they're not where they need to be to hatch and reproduce. Huh. So it can be, it can be detrimental to the fishing, the hatches sometimes, but this year we got lucky and it was, uh, it was low water level, but it was, it was fishable and caught, yeah. caught quite a few fish. Yeah. Now what are like the deepest holes out there when you guys are fishing? Like how deep is it right now would be the deepest? Yeah. So there's a hole in the lower that's probably 35 feet deep. Oh, wow. Um, and that's a huge eddy, a constant eddy where there's, you know, a rope swing and, and people swim and, and all that. Normally the river is, uh, you know, a couple feet deep yeah. is what we're looking at right now. Yeah. And is, is there a lot of people... Um do a lot of people like kayak and stuff on that river? Are there like regulations for that or? No, so it's not permitted for private use. So yeah, we see lots of tubers and kayakers and, you know, a few private fishermen. There's a few outfitters that have permits for the section, but, um, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate in that compared to other uh, rivers around us, we've got not a lot of fishing pressure. Yeah. Well, that's good then. Absolutely. Get the fish big and do all that kind of stuff. That's what we want. Is it hard, like, do you ever see a lot of, like, bank fishermen 
near you guys or is it kind of too hard to get to? Yeah, most of the water's all artificial only. So even the bank fishermen, you know, they're throwing meps and rapalas and catching a few fish. Um, but you don't see a whole lot of people drowning worms and killing lots of fish. Um, yeah. There's also good regulations, you know, there's only you can only keep a couple browns a day. Um and no rainbows so okay don't see that whole lot yeah and so i uh they were telling me when i was up in montana that the rainbows and like brown just take over and like all kind of like the native fish kind of get pushed aside because they just eat so much is that the same way down there are those kind of like yeah, I mean, when you talk about the native fish, um, you know, it's hard because like, the native fish in my area is going to be the cutthroat, right? The Colorado yeah. cutthroat. And they, I mean, looking at historical flows of the Gunnison River in, I think it was 1922, the Gunnison River ran at 15 CFS. And then a couple of years, I think before that or after that, it was at like 50,000 CFS was the spring flush. So that just it, it isn't good trout environment i want to say there's a lot of you know the small mountain feeder creeks that's where the cutthroats thrive and that's where those browns and rainbows are kind of taking over um but as far as the water we're looking at today i mean it's so managed to where you know it's the native fish that live here um you know they're getting out competed at the end of the day yeah yeah but <laughs> who knows yeah i hear you do you guys see a lot of cutthroat when you're out there, or is it kind of... No, we, you know, about 20 years ago, so it's just mainly rainbows and browns. Um, about 20 years ago, whirling disease hit the river real bad and killed all the rainbows. So oh, wow. um, they've, they've been trying to restock those populations. Uh, we catch about 95% brown trout out of the river and about 5% rainbows, but the rainbows that we do catch tend to be 17, 18 inches or bigger. Yeah. So they're, they're healthy fish. Well, and good. those rainbows uh, seem to be kind of crossed with those cutthroats so it might be a little cutboat variation huh. most of these rainbows have got that kind of red throat yeah. even though they look almost identical to a rainbow trout yeah how many cutthroats will you guys catch like a year out there is it just a few then yeah i mean when you, we're talking the cut bows so you know we'll catch yeah. maybe you know early in the spring it's it's usually more but we'll catch a rainbow or two a trip okay. um I haven't caught a rainbow in a couple of weeks just because we're fishing bigger dries. And yeah. Then rainbows tend to be caught in that faster stuff nymphing. Um, okay. At least in the section that we fish. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. So, like, the rainbows, they sit in kind of different water than the browns do out there then. That's kind of what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. So- yeah, those rainbows are going to be almost exclusively in that real fast water. So okay. in those runs and those riffles, stuff like that, um, in those deeper holes, um, with again still more current, is what they they prefer. And then you'll see those big old flats. Like there's some couple hundred yard flats on this lower section here that that at least the other day, yesterday when I was on the water, I mean there was hundreds and hundreds of fish rising in these flats, oh, just geez. real slow calm flats, and they're all browns. There's no rainbows in there, so. Huh. Yeah, they tend to just kind of prefer a little different water. Yeah. So then for with you guys up in Michigan, do the cutthroat like prefer different water like the rainbows do or they just kind of swim with the salmon as well? Yeah, so, um, you know, not a whole lot of cutthroat in Michigan, especially oh, I mean, uh, we're... I mean the um, steelhead. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so the steelhead again, they're migratory. So um, they're going to, they're going to be running up these smaller creeks, these smaller rivers. And then really the only place that they feel secure especially after spending almost their entire life in Lake Michigan in the yeah. middle of the water, you know, they're, they're really looking for those deeper holes, those darker holes where they feel a little bit more secure since so much of that water is, is shallow. Okay. So you're finding those fish really concentrated. Yeah. And how deep do those rivers get up in Michigan? You know, we have some holes that are probably 15 feet deep, 20 feet deep. Oh, wow. Um, and those big deep holes is what those big pods of salmon and steelhead are going to hold in. So just bottom bouncing those holes. And, and again, it's year to year. Uh, there's, there's holes that, you know, off the top of my head, there's a hole that I'm thinking of in Michigan that is 20 feet deep. And the last couple of years, it's been amazing. And then this, just this past year, I don't think we pulled one salmon out of it. So, huh. you know, holes, it's still deep. It's still 20 feet deep in there, but yeah. the salmon just this year, for some reason, the current maybe is a little different. The sand filled in a little differently, but we didn't find one fish in that hole last year. It's really funny. Huh. Yeah. That's how it goes sometimes, I guess. That's how it goes. <laughs> um, and then you guys are talking about bottom bouncing because I we bottom bounce for walleyes, but I've never heard of bottom bouncing for um, like fly because you guys are all fly fishing out there, right? Yeah, so we're using eight eight weight nine foot uh, fly rods. Yeah. We're using amnesia line, which is basically like a thick monofilament. Um, you know, we're trailing a couple egg flies behind some split shot, you know, a couple feet up above those egg flies. And then we're just casting above that hole and letting those, those weights bring those flies to the bottom. And we're just feeling that, yeah. that rig as it's bouncing along the bottom of that hole. And you'll feel that, that fish smash it. Oh, wow. Or, or, you know, sometimes they smash and sometimes the line stops and yeah. you set the hook and, and it's six inches in their mouth. So it's huh. always just like, you know, most fish, they're a little different from fish to fish. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty cool way to fish. I've never even, never even thought about that. That's absolutely learn something new every day. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but do you like when you're fishing that way? Does it flow pretty smoothly along the bottom or does it get caught up quite a bit? You know, um, as a guide, like I mentioned earlier that we we float those stretches before before the season, right? So I'll spend yeah. two or three days floating those stretches with the chainsaw clearing, clearing out debris and also clearing out those holes. So we'll bring snorkel and mask with us. And if there is a hole that has been holding a lot of fish, but let's say has a log in the middle of it, we'll go down there and try to, you know, jimmy rig some sort of uh, <laughs> rope around it and try to get it out of there. Um, oh, wow. So there, you know, there's only, there's only a handful of those holes that those fish prefer and we try to make them as fishable as possible. While, while still respecting the river and not um you know messing up habitat too much we'll never pull those logs out of the river we'll just kind of move them so let's say there's a big log in the middle of the middle of that hole that we keep getting caught on we'll just take that and move it down you know 10 feet say so that we can get a drift through that run um cleanly but we're not taking that trout habitat out of the river yeah wow you guys you guys got it all going on hey man we try to make it as uh Fish, fish friendly as we can that's awesome that's you guys put in the work that's for sure <laughs> yeah and with all that work and all that being said we land about 10 percent of the fish that we hook oh wow you hook a 30 pound salmon in that river and there's uh you're not you don't have the upper hand let's say that yeah those fish are strong they, they are just a tuna <laughs> especially in the current too 
I know. Oh like, yeah. Catching like bigger trout down in southern Minnesota when they get in that current, they get stuff. You just gotta keep running down the river with them. Absolutely. So that's. I can only imagine fishing salmon in a like in a drift boat like that, and that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. That would it's be, a great time. We'll have to get you up there sometime. Yeah, that'd be rowdy. That would be that would be a good time. Now, do you guys fish like? Is it better in like the mornings or evenings or? Is it so just we like just all do day? full day flows. Yeah, and again, so those salmon um, moving up the river, they're moving up those rivers to spawn. So when we find them concentrated in holes like that, they're they're potted up with other fish and they're just moving up the river. So at night, they're going to be doing their travel and they're going to be putting on a mile, two, yeah. three, four miles in a night. And then once that sun comes up, they're not going to feel safe and they're going to find that deepest, darkest pool that they can and kind of concentrate there. So really huh. from sunup to sundown, those fish, for the most part, um, on bright sunny days like to stay where they are yeah. um, you'll get overcast days and you know day to day you'll see more fish traveling than, than, the, than the next but um, you know usually when those fish find a big hole they'll stay there throughout the day from sun up to sundown. wow that's pretty do you guys ever fish at night I know that there's a population of people that prefer to fish at night, but we do not. No, we uh, we just, again, so we're looking for those concentrations of fish in those yeah. big deep holes, and the sun almost helps us. It keeps those fish there, yeah. and it, it keeps them where we can present a fly to them. Yeah. And back to what you said, you catch only about 10%. How many fish, like, is it usually in one day that you guys are kind of, like, is there a range that you guys kind of aim for? Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll usually hook, um, you know, I hate to say usually because there's a huge range, but I want to say 20, 20 fish a day. Okay. Wow. You know, if you hook 20 fish a day and you land a couple of them, that's a, that's a normal day. That's a good average day. That's awesome. Um, with that being said, I think a couple, it was four or five years ago, we hooked 202 in one day and landed 47. Oh my God. So it's there's there's a there's a range there <laughs> yeah there is quite a range <laughs> yeah that that's insane 202 that's and then to catch 47 it was a good day <laughs> is that what is that like your best day or yeah, yeah yeah that's 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 probably one of the days that sticks out most in my mind i was gonna say because that'd be that'd be quite an experience absolutely like, Jeez Louise. And is it like, is it colder up in September once you guys get up there? Is it still pretty warm outside? You know, it's like, like honestly, it's the perfect temperature. When yeah. I'm in Colorado on the Gunston River, it's, you know, 100 degrees July and August yeah. almost every day. Uh, when I get back to Michigan in September, it's like 70s, mid 70s Ooh, in the day yeah. and then gets down to like 50s at night. And it's like perfect campfire weather yeah have a campfire at night you know cook dinner over the fire and then uh you know get get a good night's sleep for the next day yeah and and those temperatures keep the mosquitoes down too so i know michigan and in the spring and summer can be pretty mosquito ridden but uh come come september they're pretty much all gone yeah yeah i i love the fall so much like in minnesota absolutely absolutely best time of year it's not it's not hot it's not cold it's just like you can't beat it. it's nice sweatshirt weather like jeans sweatpants whatever you want to wear and it's just all around just good time right super comfortable yeah um and now we talked a little bit about like the permits you have to get 
for Colorado. Is there anything you have to do for Michigan then? Yeah, so Michigan's a little more user-friendly um, as far as guiding is concerned. In Michigan, you just need to, at least for what I do, um, I'm in a drift boat with no motor um, on inland waterways. So okay. all I need is a pilot's, uh, an inland pilot's license. So hmm. it's just a, te- it's a test, um, you know, that you take and it covers boats and, and uh, rigging and safety procedures and, and stuff like that. Um, once you get your inland pilot's license, you just need to get the permit for the commercial boat permit um, to use hmm. state launches. A lot of the launches in Michigan are state-owned. So if you're using those commercially, uh, you need to get that permit. And then it's just insurance, guiding insurance, um, and you're good to go. Um, yeah. Like I said, Colorado is requires more. Um, I think uh, there's there's more guides out here. They're able yeah. to They're able to do that. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's permits for sections of river. So, but that's a great thing because it's so, um, heavily trafficked out here that, uh, restricting use for some of these sections is, is pretty important, you know, not only for the quality of the fishing that the fishermen are getting, but also for the trout themselves. I mean, you know, if there's a thousand boats going down a section of river every day. Those trout are just going to be pounded. Oh Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I know in in Wisconsin, it's a uh, hundred dollars for a guiding license, and you're good for the state. So Wisconsin's on one one side <laughs> of the spectrum, and Colorado's on the other. Yeah, huh? Fair enough, I guess. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Now, right. but that insurance is important. You know, if you take oh, people yeah. out every day, uh, make sure you have that insurance. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. And um, is it just you guiding up there, or do you have a you, I, I want to say you had another guy you guide with? Yeah, so I've, I've got a uh, buddy that I went to college with um, yeah. that, that spends the month of September with me um, and guides for me. So I've got eight or nine days booked for him this year, and my schedule is full. So um, nice. the trips that I'm receiving, I'm kind of handing off to him, and he's working for me, and uh, yeah, it's all good. That's awesome. Do you guys have a couple drift boats up there then? Yep, he's got a, he's got his uh, drift boat. He's got a sixteen foot hide um, high side, and then I've got a fourteen and a half foot hide low side, low pro. Okay, so now we've got we've got our boats up there, and I'm kind of in the market for uh, getting one of those smaller rafts for a couple of those sections of river that I float up there that are real tight in that drift boat. Yeah. Now you were talking about like. He's got like a high tide drift boat and you got like a low tide drift boat. What's the difference between that? Yeah. So I think the footprint, the actual underneath uh, footprint of the boat is the same. Um, Okay. uh, The walls, the the boat walls on each side just come up uh, quite a bit higher on his boat than mine. Okay. Um, So it's going to be more stable. Uh, You know, maybe if you have bigger clients or you you as a guide as a bigger guide, um, you know, that that's going to be a little more stable um, of a boat. It's going to have more room in it. I've got the low pro, which um, pros and cons. I mean, I can get under some stuff. There's a lot of, you know, logs over the river, about six feet over the river, four feet over the river. So in my low pro, I can just go right under those logs. Yeah. And in the, the high high side, it's a little bit more work. Um, you know, the wind catches the high side a little bit more than mine. But um, like I said, if you have if you have clients that want more room or they're unsteady on their feet the high side is a little bit more desirable this is a way to go for those people though. right okay yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome and how many trips do you have booked up this year yeah i think i've got 26 or 27 um oh, booked wow. for me and then like i said i've got eight or nine booked for uh, that second guide that's awesome 
So it's it's all good. I'm excited to get back there. Um, you know, it's the water that I grew up fishing. I know that water like the back of my hand. Um, I've got family back there that I can see. It's it's just all around. I really look forward to the month of September in Michigan. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Michigan is such a great place too. So much Absolutely. fun to just hang out in. I haven't done any fishing up there yet. I know a couple guys that uh, fish up there for steelhead and then do some trout fishing as well but yeah pretty neat um and then for colorado what other uh are you like chasing any other fish besides rainbows and browns is there like any other fish in the river out there yeah, so the guiding that I do um, consists of just rainbows and browns here in the Gunnison River. So yeah. uh, I know a lot of guides, you know, jump between rivers. Uh, my schedule is full on the Gunnison here, which yeah. I prefer. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd rather just really fish one river and know that river inside and out, um, which is what we do. And we're dealing with just rainbows and browns here in the Gunnison. Uh, in some of my spare time, um, I mentioned the Grand Mesa earlier. I go up on the Grand Mesa and, uh, you know, catch all sorts of cutties and and um species we caught some grayling this spring oh wow uh, that was a great time so there's just all sorts of all sorts of stuff up there and then even the blue mesa will go and uh, fish the blue mesa catch those kokanee lake trout do a lot of ice fishing over there for lakers yeah um so there, there's quite a bit of variety over here yeah oh that's great what's your favorite time of year to fish out there oh man i love like november November, you're just stripping big old streamers for brown trout, yeah, and uh, and doing the blasting cast thing for ducks. So it's it's just an all around. You know, that's probably when the where the biggest fish of the year come from is, you know, catching them on those big old articulated streamers, 22, 23 inch brown trout. Yeah, and the fall colors are unbelievable. Oh, spectacular, spectacular, absolutely. Like, those things are lit up. Oh yeah, they're absolutely beautiful. Like the ones we catch out here are just gorgeous in the front right right it's just like a, it looks like a whole different fish with all those right. different colors on it yeah, and they're just fat man from all summer they're just fat oh yeah fat, fat, fat. good stuff do you guys get like some lock jaws out there like your bigger fish get quite a big lock jaw because i know over here we get the big ones get quite a big lock jaw yeah, dude, we get those big males, uh, especially during the uh, fall and early winter. They just get those big old hook jaws in that bottom, yeah, bottom jaw there. It's it's pretty epic, man. It's awesome to see. Yeah, I think that's that's the coolest part of the trout. Like in the fall, it's just that lock jaw. It's so I don't know what it Absolutely. is, but it's just so neat to see. Absolutely, I totally agree. Yeah, it just looks even better with the big old streamer hanging off of it. Oh, exactly, exactly. Now, do you do any guiding like past the summer, or is it just kind of? Yeah, so October, um, October we'll have. I'll come back to Colorado and have some trips um, throughout October, and then um, Gunnison River Expeditions, who I, I work for, um, through the guiding. They do bird hunting in the winter, so okay. I'll do some some bird hunts and some hunting guiding um, through that. Yeah, are they doing it on the river for? bird hunts or uh so they they lease about three thousand acres of farmland so it's the upland oh, birds nice. pheasant chucker um oh okay um, so that's that's kind of separate from the river yeah okay i was thinking ducks and geese no so you guys no, are doing are... upland yeah yeah okay. so gunnison river expeditions does those upland bird hunts released pheasants and chuckers uh throughout the winter and that's just a great time man my pup 
I love to take her out there, do some guiding, some hunting. Yeah. Um, she loves it. That's what she lives for. Yeah. And she's a pointer. So she, yeah. she's, she's, she's got the wire hair side of her. So she's got a little better undercoat than just, uh, um, a pure short hair pointer would be. So she handles that cold, especially the cold water a little bit better when she's retrieving ducks. But, um, I've been training her using some versatile training methods. So, yeah. um, she's really well-rounded and I can't take a whole lot of credit for that. She's got a lot of natural abilities, but, uh, she jumps between pointing pheasants and retrieving ducks put pretty flawlessly. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love pointers. Um, oh, they're the best. Yeah, I got I got a golden retriever that throws a hard point down for pheasants. Really? Oh yeah, it's pretty neat to watch. Oh, uh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun going to hunt Minnesota pheasants, but there's like I do a lot of uh, like wild wild pheasants and stuff like that. And you're get, fortunate they, to where you can you know yeah. you live in a place where you've got those populations oh exactly and it's just so much fun like absolutely even if even if you don't go shoot your limit just watching the dog is my favorite part absolutely i agree like just just all around just a good time be outdoors go do some walking through those marshes and like late late december when everything's froze up and right yeah it's just just a good time but yeah uh, you find you find those birds wintering in the cattails pretty heavy in the winter oh yeah yeah they if you if you can find like some standing corn like last year it wasn't like super ideal because it was so wet so there was a ton of standing corn um, right which they like to sit in and it can be tougher to hunt those like bigger standing cornfields. Um, if you don't have like, yeah, if you don't have the guys, like if you don't have a good amount of guys, you're going to, it's going to be a tough time to hunt those standing cornfields. Um, just because they like to run, they just run so much and just, they never stop. And then all of a sudden they're 150 yards in front of you and then it jumps up and you're like, Oh, well, there was a bird that my dog was chasing and right. even though the dog's like 30 yards in front of you, it just, you follow that scent trail all the way up and it's just like, ah, I saw that bird fly up. <laughs> like it's just a tough bounce. Right. But no, yeah, like the cat, the cattails are just super ideal. Cause they, they just hunker down in those and they, they don't do too much running in them, but right. like they just like to kind of chill and then, find a little bit of standing corn along the edges of those and that's like your bread and butter man like i can see that that's awesome yeah but yeah i know we're uh running on some time here but i just want to say is there anything that you wish i would have asked you or some topic that we we want to go over before we end things up um you know just uh to anybody out there that's looking into you know, starting a career guiding. Um, I think that you're either going to be suited for it or you're not, uh, yeah. go out there and do it. You're going to find out pretty quickly if, if you can do it or you can't. Um, if you can't, you can move on to that next step in your life. And if you can, I, I promise you, you'll wish you would have done it sooner. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a lifestyle choice that, uh, is not for everybody, but is perfect for some people. Um, yeah, that's about all I got. That's awesome. And then where can they get a hold of you if they're looking to get on a trip? 
Yeah, so Tinger Guide Service, T-I-N-G-E-R, guideservice.com is my website. Um, I've got Michigan Salmon, Michigan Steelhead, and Colorado Trout um, pages on there. So uh, feel free to check that out. Gunnison River Expeditions out here in Hotchkiss, Colorado um, also has a website, gunnisonriverexpeditions.com. Uh, feel free to check that out. Um, and then I'm on social media, Instagram as Tinger Guide Service. Um, and Facebook. So feel free to reach, reach out to me there. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for hopping on. I had a blast. Hey, me too, man. I appreciate everything. Great meeting you. And we will have to hook up and go fishing sometime. Absolutely. Keep on catching those trout out in Colorado and good luck to your (laughs) season in Michigan. Hey, thanks so much, man. I appreciate everything. All right. You have a good one. You as well. Bye. And there we have it, folks. Alex with Tinger Guide Service owner and operator chasing steelhead and king salmon, man. That would be a good time. So make sure to check him out. Also, he's a guide over at Gunnison River Expeditions, and they're chasing browns and some rainbows all summer long. Also do a little bird hunting at the end of the year, more in October, November, he was talking about. So make sure to check that out, guys. And... Just a great dude to talk to, great guy to get in the boat with. So all around, I hope you guys had a good one. I hope you enjoyed it, learned some tips about fishing those bigger rivers, and hope you guys enjoy it.